This is the full interview from a segment from the Overdrive radio and podcast program. For more information, go to drivenmedia.com.au. Modern road safety systems are showcasing what is technically possible in warning drivers or in dangerous situations, possibly intervening. But as we reported the other day on some research from MIT, there can be a big difference between what is technically possible, which dictates how we want people to respond, versus how people respond in real life situations. We caught up with Christine Mulverhill, who, with a background in psychology, now a research fellow at Monash University's Accident Research Centre, is about to deliver a paper to the Australasian Road Safety Conference, a major conference held every year. The title of her work is a First Stage Evaluation of a Prototype Driver Distraction Human Machine Interface Warning System. Sounds complicated, but it is incredibly practical. G'day, Christine. Hi, David. How are you going? Very well, thank you. You concentrated on heavy vehicle drivers, didn't you? Yes, we did. We looked at heavy vehicle drivers, but we also did look at car drivers too. So you focused on heavy vehicles. What is their percentage in the market on the road and and also including how far they travel? Well, heavy vehicles are involved in around 16% of all fatal crashes on our roads in Australia. And yet they're only accounting for around about 2.5% of vehicle registrations and about 7% of the distance vehicle kilometres travelled. The thing is they're bigger and if they're going to be involved in a crash, which may not be their fault. And most of the time it's not their fault, it's just that the vehicle's bigger, so its potential is to do a lot more damage to other road users as well as themselves. And they also do us a great service in delivering freight, which is pivotal to our enjoyment and function. So it's important then to focus on an area which I think is very open and very clearly wants to do its best result as well. We've got a, a great deal of respect for our truck drivers. They're, they're all really usually very good drivers, but they're also exposed a lot more because they cover a lot of a greater distance. If they are involved in a collision, there's potential for more damage. So there's more opportunity, I guess, to be involved in a crash just because they drive so much further than the rest of us. And also, I guess, then there's more opportunity for them to become tired or distracted because they are on the road for such a long time. Technology, when I was going through being a traffic engineer and that, it was signposting on the outside. If there was any warning in the car, it was about the engine, the oil light or so on. There's a move to in-vehicle advice warnings and so on, isn't there? Is that strong and a lot of people taking that up? Yes, that's becoming stronger and stronger. There are many vehicles out there today with the technology installed. It's still in its infancy, in a sense, but also truck driver companies are getting on board with it as well. So um, it's becoming more affordable and more and more vehicles are having the technology installed. Uh, More affordable is important, yet any good company will be looking at the cost-benefit and there is potentially big benefit. Yes, yes. The technology, how can it help? Are we talking about it just being there as a bit of a a nice extra little thing or can it be a very fundamental part of the road safety? Initially, it's designed to help the driver. We don't want to remove the primary prevention techniques, which are the driver being sensible enough, for example, Mm. to try not to be distracted, put the phone away to turn it off and to take regular rest breaks because we can become more distracted when we're tired. But the technology is certainly there to warn the driver. And if it's another layer of something we can do to prevent 
crashes, then we're all for it. You don't want to get a complacency to think that the system will save you in every situation. It certainly won't save you, no. It's designed to help the driver Mm. rather than actually do the work for them. So we can't have drivers thinking that, oh, look, now I can become more distracted or, or now I can just drive when I'm tired. It won't prevent you from being distracted or tired. It will just give you a warning when you reach that state. It's an augmented reality, isn't it? It's where technology is helping you but not becoming autonomous, not taking over. Yes, correct. It's not actually taking over the driving for you. It only tells you, and and that's true because it's up to what the driver then does with that information too. And we hope that if they receive a warning, they'll heed the warning and stop engaging in the distraction or pull over and take a rest. We all have our theories about what other drivers should do. Did you interact, engage with truck drivers once, twice or a bit? Uh, We engage with them quite frequently, around about four times throughout the two-year project. So we met with them for several interviews where we just had initial discussions about what they thought would be helpful to them as part of their driving. And then we got more down to the fine-grained details where we combined their input with the research. And then eventually that culminated in an actual test in the driving simulator where we had a purpose-built truck and put the drivers in the truck, had them distracted and asked for them to give us feedback on what they thought about the technology. But it is important, isn't it, that it, it's not a, oh, I've listened once, now I know everything. It's an interaction, isn't it? It's a do a bit and see whether that has validity. That's an important part. Do you see that more and more in road safety research? Yes, for sure. I guess we're moving more towards a user-centred design where we need to ensure that we take into account the views and the feelings and the perspective of the user because it's, after all, the user that this is designed for. So if we don't interact with the user and see how they respond, then we won't get the best product in the end. Having had children, I have always theorised what I've told them they should immediately do. And I'm not putting truck drivers as children. I'm (laughs) saying it as a communication process. It also says that you're not trying to just dictate things to them, but you have empathy of exactly where they're coming from. Certainly, yes, certainly. We, we also we check with the drivers whether the, the systems can be you know, too far the other way. We don't want to take them, assume that the driver doesn't know what they're doing and they're not responsible, but we know that uh, the drivers can sometimes come to error. So it's just there to help them. And if you get the driver on board and they understand that, then they're much more willing to um, be helped along the way. It is, in essence, to be helped not to be dictated to. And there's a whole thing happening, I think, in the trucking industry where there's a much more action with the driver rather than sending a maverick off and then hearing from him when it gets to him or her when they get to the end of their trip. Yes, certainly. Um, And there's uh, the, the company that we worked with really gave us a great insight into how that works. So, for example, with, with the technology, if they were to receive it, a warning throughout their trip, they would then be followed up with a call from the company not to um, be big brother or to intervene on their privacy, but just just to check if they were okay. And we found that a lot of drivers who weren't familiar with the technology were somewhat reluctant at first. When they'd had experience with that system, they actually found it really, really helpful. They're not on their own. They're interacting and that the company is not the baddie and they're not the maverick, that they're actually working towards a common goal absolutely the case and it's incredible because a lot of the drivers we spoke to who had familiarity with these systems like the one that we came up with were really supportive of it like 
a lot more supportive than I would have ever imagined. Mm. But on the other hand, we had a couple of truck drivers who had never used the technology and they were quite sceptical. Um, they all said similar things. But so, so we had really divided responses on that depending on their experience with the systems. Your background in psychology, would you have been able to have this position 10, 20 years ago? Is it a movement in the road safety of, as you said earlier, about understanding people? That's it. Your psychology is a good background to that? Yes, certainly. I think, we've, I think it's been around for a while, but I don't think it's been put into play as much as we would like. And, and an example of that is when we sat down to design our system, we actually didn't really have a lot of research to go on. We, we know these systems are out there, but there wasn't a lot of research that had engaged the driver or at least made that public for us to say, hey, this works or hey, this doesn't work. So that's really important to get the user's perspective on these systems. You talk about a multimodal warning system. What does that mean? A multimodal just means more than one type of sensory modality that the warning's issued in. So as an example, the one that we looked at, or the one that we designed, I should say, that, that had an auditory warning, so a sound warning. It had a tactile warning, which means there was vibration through the seat. And it also had a visual warning, which is a little flashing light which would pop up on the, uh, the windscreen. It's very important then that those warnings lead to a, a clarity, a clear understanding of what's wrong, isn't it? it it's not just, hey, something's up. It, that's an important step to make. Yes, absolutely. And we did, it's amazing for such a, a quick, you know, several second warning, a lot of the, the thought that went into it. And we wanted to make sure that, that we tapped into the way that drivers would respond. So some drivers are perhaps better at hearing things, others are better at feeling things. So we wanted to tap into that and we wanted to make sure that the drivers were, they heeded the warning. But we also had to be careful that we didn't overload the driver because there's other warnings, especially in the truck driver's cabin. We didn't want to make it go like a, you know, a Christmas lights and show in the cab. There's a great story, uh, a theory, if you like, of uh, the pilot in a plane who has a million things going wrong and buttons flashing and, and warning buzzers going off and then something extra happens like the engine courts fire. Perhaps the best way to communicate them is to play a recording of his one of his children saying, Daddy or Mummy, there's an extra problem, there's the engines on fire. It cuts through a lot of that. We might think, well, we'll just do a blast out a message, but the reality is you do have to cut through what is a very complex situation. And that's what we found too, because our, uh, our warning comprises a few beep-beep sounds, a buzzing sound, and a little bit of noise coming from that. But we also had a spoken warning, which, which was basically saying, pay attention now. And that was really good. We found that to almost be the best out of the modalities because drivers, it was a clear, simple message. And it, I think it lines up with what you're saying. It's, it sort of talks to the driver. It, it meets them directly rather than a, a buzzing sound that they may associate with another warning in the cabin. I've told this story a few times. I road tested a Peugeot convertible. I hopped in the car at night and drove it and it started beeping at me. So I got out and slammed all the doors and the boot because I thought that might be the problem. I couldn't work it out. I rang Peugeot, their PR guy, after work hours and uh, he advised me that the roof may not have been quite closed. Now, of course, the kids had got in the car and had been playing with the roof, not moving. But, of course, I wasn't aware of it. But that th the whole point was I got a message but I had no idea what to do with it. 
Yes, that, that's a really critical thing to check. And, and one, the first component of our study, in fact, the second one, the first component was to ask the drivers, what warnings did you notice? so that we could actually detect if they heeded the warning. And the second question was, what do you understand that warning to be? <laughs> so we actually were able to check if drivers understood it. And around about 99%, I think there was one driver who said, oh, is, is that a, um, an audible tactile warning? We're like, no, no. <laughs> so yes, absolutely. It's important to check that the drivers know what the warning's intended for. Uh, take me through what you did in the simulator. Ah, so we put the drivers in a purpose-built truck driving simulator and we had them drive for probably about 20 minutes and during that 20 minute drive we interspersed some we got them to engage in some distracting activities which was typically a text messaging task and then we would issue the warning and then we'd issue the second level warning because our system had two levels of warning and then we got the driver to pull the truck over and we interviewed them we got them to fill in a series of scales right to rate the effectiveness of the warnings and we got them to just give us some feedback about that. And we did that about five times for, for the different variations of the warnings that we tested. What sort of distractions, um, what sort of warnings were they given? What were the circumstances or the dangers or the situation they had to be aware of? So in our study, it was, it was a little bit artificial in the sense that we, we had them engage in a text messaging task. We asked them to engage in it. So the system wasn't hooked up in real time. We actually just really wanted to get their feedback on the, the warning itself. So we, by putting them in the truck simulator, we were just immersing them in the type of situation that they would be in. So they didn't have their other regular warning devices that they might have in their truck. So it's a little bit artificial, which is why we call it our first stage evaluation and we would hope to do further tests on the real road after this. But you did say you got the driver to pull over. I love, I love that expression because that <laughs> continues the effort at making it a reality, doesn't it? It certainly does, exactly. We wouldn't want to be portraying the wrong message here, would we? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, stop in the middle of the road. And yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> now, you talked about how different drivers react. One of the things that came out of the MIT research was the possibility of a system giving feedback and even adapting to the individual driver rather than necessarily building a one-off warning system with artificial intelligence and with cameras being able to detect a fair bit about the driver and that do you do you think that's an area we might move to the individuality of the warning systems I think it could be it's not something I know a great deal about but in a lot of the papers I've read for this work it certainly mentioned what they call individual differences and that is that drivers are not all the same so uh, they won't always respond the same way if they're fatigued or distracted so the real trick with the device was being able to cover the range of different responses that a driver could exhibit that would indicate that they were in some form of some type of impaired state Typically, they're losing attention or they're not uh, focusing a lot on the road ahead, those sorts of things. Yes, the primary ones we were looking at in our study were distraction and fatigue rather than other forms of impairment, for example, uh, someone who might be affected by alcohol or drugs. The thing about the fatigue then is giving feedback for the particular situation, particularly if we have technology that will detect eye movement and other things. So it is very much not just giving a bland general warning to the drivers, it is interacting with them. And that reinforces the sort of two-way street aspect of a, a good warning system. Yes, certainly. And I think 
I think if I understand correctly, what you're getting at is uh, what springs to my mind is I know that there's some systems out there at the moment where they will get a little light coming on the dashboard, which indicates, you know, when they've been driving, say, two or more hours to take a break. Mm. And that's not particularly tailored to the driver's experience. That driver might be used to driving four hours, for example. So I think with the, the advances that we make, we do want to tailor it to the driver. So what you're saying is, is quite quite correct, although I'm not overly familiar with that, that particular field of research. Yet it's a, it's a great opportunity to think that it can expand. As you said, we haven't got a lot of the first stage research at the moment. We need to know and be confident that we will move to more advanced systems. Yes, certainly we do. We want to keep advancing, advancing the work. And I think the fact that there's, there's a lot of this research going on, but we're all grappling with the same questions at the moment. You said that you looked at it in trucks, but you do want to take the research into car drivers as well? Yes, we do, um, because, of course, if it have, can have benefits for truck drivers, it can certainly have benefits for car drivers too. Interestingly, the truck drivers were, were more familiar with it because um, some of them had already used had it in their vehicles, whereas the car drivers were less familiar. So hmm. um, it was interesting to see that difference. But certainly we want it to be available for all uh, road users. When we make it available in cars and lane departure warning and, and in fact, even intervention where it helps in a, a way of just helping you keep the car in the line, is a case, though, that it can vary so much between vehicles. Is there a, a need for some more universal understanding here? It doesn't have to be exactly the same, but one warning in one car ought to be the same in another, those sorts of things? Yeah, that's a good point. Is, is that a bit like arguing for the consistency issue? So if a driver, for example, had to jump from one car into another, they would be used to the type of warning that, that it was being used for rather than become, say, confused if the, if the systems were issuing different types of warnings? Truck drivers have talked about that a lot, haven't they? They actually have to drive different trucks, and that is actually quite a barrier of learning the new truck which you would prefer them to do while they're sitting waiting rather than necessarily while they're driving down the highway. Yes, that's definitely true. Consistency is a big one. But you also want to hope that the systems are sort of, I guess, user-friendly enough that the driver won't have to, I guess, in a sense, train to use them. Yes, yes. I worry that many modern cars are having the interface, uh, uh, I love your expression, the human-machine interface, are being designed with wonderful graphics, which are colourful and got movement, but aren't necessarily easy to use or helpful. Yes, exactly. You can design a system with the best of intentions, but you have to tread a fine line to make sure that it actually achieves its purpose. And I, I think I might have, oh, well, I was thinking earlier that with our particular device, we had three different types of warnings, but in actual fact, we wanted to be careful because around about 20% of the drivers did say they found them effective, but could it have potential to overwhelm a driver? So we want to be careful that we that the driver gets the warning and they understand it, but we don't overwhelm them. So one thing we were considering perhaps in the future was testing this again, perhaps without the visual warning. Maybe it's enough just with the the, uh, auditory and the tactile alert. That's something we would need to fine-tune. You want a warning, too, that is consistent. There's nothing worse than driving down a road and having to slow to 40k because of workmen, but there's no one there. In the same way, you don't want a warning that comes up 
that appears to be rather uh, superficial. Oh, I was just going to say, is that when you were talking then, I was thinking like a warning that's issued when it doesn't need to be. Yes, yes. Yes, yes. Uh, that is something that uh, we didn't investigate in this particular study because we were, we were initiating the warnings for the driver to, to experience. But that's something that the, uh, the drivers that we interviewed throughout said was, was an issue. And it, it, we know it to be an issue with the technology and it's something that they're needing to work on as they go. We call it, I think, a false positive where it goes off when it shouldn't. Mm. And, of course, that's got a really high chance of making the driver really annoyed. And if that happens a lot through the trip, you know, they may eventually ignore the warning. So we really need to make sure we get that right and that the warnings only go off when they should. Do you think the research then may move towards the idea of being able to evaluate over a period of time? My thought is that if I get a distraction or if I struggle to understand the technology or what it means, I get frustrated. And that may not show the problem immediately, but it's something that then sits in the back of your mind. I test a different car each week. I can hate the car because I can't set up the radio easily. So it, it nags at me for a long time. Now, that's the one-week unfamiliarity syndrome. I, I accept that. But that point, that really good interface is something that will produce positive results over the length of the trip, perhaps even further. Yes, and I think um, one of the things that's really important to do, and we, we didn't actually do this in our study because it was a short, uh, short simulator study, but some of the on-road trials that are happening are going for extended periods of time so that you do get the true test of whether the system is, is working as it should. So the opportunity to, to examine that is, is more available in a longer-term study. What's your vision for this study? You, you've talked about wanting to do more? Uh, yes, hopefully we would like to do some more. The the company Seeing Machines that we were partnered with, they, they have already ran a, a large on-road trial with this. I don't know the exact results, so I can't quite speak to that. But um, there are they have done that, and there's probably some more uh, work in train coming up for that as well. Christine, lovely to talk to you. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much, David. It's a pleasure. And that is Christine Mulverhill, who is a research scientist with the Monash University's Accident Research Centre, a research fellow, and is doing some great work in that regard of the driver-human-machine interface and the warning systems that we can do with that. Very important work. And you can hear the full interview if you go to our website at drivenmedia.com.au. Overdrive is a radio and podcast program featuring road tests, interviews and features on motoring and transport. More information is available at drivenmedia.com.au and podcasts on Spotify or iTunes.